Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. Men, as always, I'd like to begin by thanking you for checking out today's show and reminding you that today's podcast is sponsored by Darkwater Woodwork, darkwaterkc.com. The link will be in the show notes right now. Doug Cole of Darkwater is offering 15% off of your beard care products. Specifically, I want to talk about the St. Patrick Beard Balm and Beard Oil Combo. That's two ounces of beard balm, one ounce of beard oil. I'm not a beard balm guy, but some of you are. So maybe you go in, you buy this, and you can give that beard balm to somebody that you know uses it. It's a way that you can kind of advance the message and say, hey, here's something I'm connected to. I heard it on a podcast. This is a business I support. Use them both for yourself. It doesn't matter. Use the discount code that I'm going to give you in the podcast, and you'll save 15% off your order. Men, it's time for today's podcast conversation. Well, men, we are going to look at uh, Mark 6. I think we're supposed to look at verses, uh, what's that, 30 to move on. But I'm going to start in verse 45 today. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus walking on water. And I don't have my notes or anything in front of me. I think this is roughly what we're supposed to talk about. doesn't matter. This is what we're going to talk about. Um, I, I want you to know on the onset, the discount code for this week is walk on water, all capital letters, walk on water. I want to get that out there because I, I do, uh, I do forget from time to time. And today I'm afraid I definitely, uh, would forget. Uh, I'll just give you context. Um, I've been, I always try to be transparent with you guys, and certainly in the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to be transparent about having a family member in the hospital and things of that nature. Uh, just got home, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, uh, that my father-in-law had passed away. He, We got home from the hospital. He had a heart surgery um, on February 5th, and the heart surgery seemingly went pretty well, and uh, there's some, some, some something happened somewhere, and uh, he, he, he was put through the ringer. Um, and so I uh, got a call this morning as I was taking my kids to school. My wife said that uh, he had passed. He is with Jesus. And um, so silence in the car as we decided, nope, we're not going to school now. Now we are heading to the hospital. And as we were uh, driving there, I put on one of my um, Christian radio stations I like. I have an app that from a place that I'm familiar with and uh, played it. And uh, there was just a couple poignant songs and it was hard for me to communicate to my kids. Um, Cause they're, you know, they're processing everything and I'm processing everything. Uh, but there was a, a song and I don't remember who sings it, but it, he says, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And uh, if you know, I don't know the guy's name, but there's a famous sermon with that. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And that was very poignant that that played uh, almost uh, within uh, minutes, uh, seconds uh, of putting that station on because um, a number of days ago, I don't know how long it's been. It's, it's, it, honestly, a lot of this is a blur. Um, my, that's what my father-in-law was saying to my wife. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. He was wanting to get out of there and get to church. And uh, certainly that's something we think about when we think about Easter. It's Friday, the crucifixion. It's dark. It's, uh, it looks like death has won. It looks like, 
it has we have been defeated, but Sunday's coming. And and that that's that's our hope. And so I when I was opening my Bible up, I, I wanted to get this recorded. It's Wednesday, February 21st. Uh, this will go on Friday, February 23rd. There will be no time to record anything like this next couple of days, I'm sure. And uh, it'll be a real challenge for all the episodes for next week. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what the Lord will do. Um, Mark 6, uh, 45. I, I thought that was fitting with looking at this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now, the context of this is Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Well, people like good food. People like to be fed, and they certainly would have liked whatever Jesus had provided. <clears throat> Forgive me. And so they, uh, Jesus sends the multitude home. He, send, he sends them on their way. He, he wasn't as concerned about uh, crowds, right? Like, that. Like yes, crowds were drawn to him. Yes, he took advantage of when there were crowds to teach them about the kingdom of heaven. And in this instance, um, he fed their bellies. But maybe the lesson was really picked up on the disciples as they're gathering the basketfuls of food and, and such. And so he sends the disciples away, and Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. While they are going away without Jesus, I, I don't know what the plan was discussed before they took off, but they're making their way. When evening came, uh, the boat was out to sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And it was about the fourth watch of the night. Fourth watch of the night, I believe, is around three in the morning. So right in the middle of it, right? Uh, fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Okay, let's stop there. They're in a storm. Um, I, I believe the way that this body of water was situated, uh, wind would come down from the, the mountainside, if you will, um, and then it would just create this uh, sudden and extreme violent storms at times and so if i understand correctly the storms are caused by the cold air which will come down the the mountain and colliding with the warm water uh if you've ever seen like that happen or if you've ever seen an image where like warm water meets cold water there's this conflict right different temperatures and so evening comes he's he's up praying talking to god the father disciples are doing their best to you know get this boat rowed to shore certainly they want to make it to safety and Jesus sees it. Now, in the midst of your storms, it can be quite easy to think, where are you? You know, in the last couple of weeks, that was a prayer I had considered many times of, you know, what's the point of praying if the end, which this was what we were, you know, we didn't want. But as believers, you say, well, you ran the race very well. You did everything you possibly could to tell people about Jesus, serve them faithfully. You've left an incredible example to follow. But selfishly, we'd like to have more time. And so what's the point of praying if the end has already been determined? Well, i got to believe in the midst of this, God is doing some things and will continue to do some things. And I shared some of those things, just encounters that we had. But in this particular instance in Scripture here, Jesus is on the mountain praying. The disciples are out there. they got to be thinking to themselves, 
where's Jesus? Or if we had Jesus, or maybe they're thinking, I'm glad we don't have Jesus. We don't want to see him uh, see how much we're struggling to get this boat to shore. I can only imagine there's a whole bunch of different thoughts that are going on in their heads and in their minds, and they're struggling to get there. Where's he at? Could he calm the storm from the mountain? He could have. Would it have been easier if he calmed the storm from the mountain? Yes. Why did he not do that? I have, I have no idea. I don't know. And so let's, let's finish up. Um, so he was going to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Okay, so this this particular instance is also noted in, uh, I believe, Matthew and John. Matthew tells us the boat was already quite a distance from the land. Um, and again, Jesus walking out there. Uh, they were going to travel a short distance, but this, this storm is so violent, so fast, that despite their best efforts, um, it had driven them like four miles off of where they're supposed to be. And again, we're looking at the fourth watch of the night, which is about three to six in the morning. They're rowing. They're straining all their efforts for a considerable amount of time, probably up to nine hours. They have got to be exhausted. There are storms that you will go through in life that you are just utterly exhausted. Mentally, spiritually, physically, Sometimes relationally, uh, it's just exhausting. And that's certainly what they were going through. Uh, Mark tells us when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they were all terrified. This, this brings me to our, my point here that, that I, I need to say today on this podcast because I need to hear it. And there's probably a person out there that needs to hear it as well. That Jesus does always come to us in the storms of life. Uh, Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. He doesn't always show up at the exact time that we beckon his call. Perhaps during the rowing of this boat, during the, the storm, during the first hour or two of the storm, he could have walked out there. Well, knowing Jesus, he doesn't even need to walk out there. He could simply just calm the waters and continue on with his prayer. But he, but he doesn't do that. He allows them to continue to row and to work. And sometimes, no, all the time, he knows when we need him the most. Jesus was, in, in some ways, exercising the disciples' faith and this meant removing kind of, you know, part of the human element. Why did Jesus walk on water? Because he stands on top of the very thing that they were fearing, the raging, angry sea. And he used them as just steps to walk closer to the disciples. And that's, that's what we can take comfort in. When we go through different experiences in life, 
you know, like what I'm walking through here, you guys walk through things. Again, you can have relational challenges, you can have financial hardships, you can have, um, you know, times where you just, you're mentally exhausted or whatever. What we need to remember is God can and often does use these instances to bring us closer to him. Now, for years, I have referenced a book by, I believe it's called by David Mannion. I believe he's the author, David Mannion. Uh, I believe Mannion is the last name for sure. And it's called The Land Between. And I love the book. I've owned it for about 15 years now, a long time. So it's been out a long time. And The Land Between is you are not where you were and you are not where you are going to be. And he uses the illustration of the Israelites wandering uh, the, the desert floor. The Bible talks about how God could have taken them the easy, shortest way possible. That would have saved a lot of deaths. That would have saved a lot of anguish. Would have saved a lot of manna. Would have saved a lot of things in their life. They weren't ready for it. They, they couldn't have handled it. Because once they saw war, once they saw adversity... They would have folded. I just talked about on uh, Wednesday. It should go today on uh, today's podcast that uh, the grasshopper faith compared to the Nephilim, compared to the Amalekites, you know, compared to the people that already live there, uh, were like grasshoppers. They were terrified. They 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 were not ready for uh, that type of adversity. In the land between, what we see with the nation of Israel is they're those who grumbled and complained and became cynical and jaded and took their eyes off God, and they didn't get the reward. They did not get to go into the promised land. But then there's a generation of people who were still faithful. They weren't perfect. They weren't sinless, but they got to go into the promised land. And in the land between, it can either become a desert wasteland spiritually, mentally, and so on, or it can be a place where God can produce tremendous fruit and cultivate a a character in us that we would not have otherwise. And so when we go through things that leave us dumbfounded, leave us without understanding, leave us hurt, broken, empty, lonely, whatever, whatever those things are, we trust that if, if Jesus can walk on the water and get to the disciples and, and calm them down and then get in the boat, he can do he can and often does do the exact same thing for us. And I say often does because again, like I'm talking about like my current situation. Why did you not get in the boat? It seems like to me, this is a person whose heart is to tell everyone he can about Jesus. Doesn't it stand to reason that we need more people to tell everybody they can about Jesus? You know, I joked for years, he's like a mob boss for for Jesus. He has no problem telling anybody, anywhere, how God loves them, how he loves them. I mean, he'll wash feet, he's clipped toenails, he's fed people who couldn't be fed. I mean, things that I would never, ever want to do if I could get out of it and has willingly done so and, and, and done it with a very gracious, caring heart. Uh, he was valet when he moved here to Indianapolis, and, and he would help people in that in and out. And people were going into the hospital, got a lot of stuff going on, and he would just stop and pray with them. And I remember asking, or I remember someone asking or saying something to him one time about, "Are you sure you can do that?" And he said, "I don't care. Like, what are they going to do? Fire me? I say, fire me? I'll go somewhere else. But I'm going to pray with them. These people need prayer." And 
because of that, he was able to make an impact on a lot of people. And I think, man, I just want an ounce of that courage. I just want a little bit more of that courage because when I go through some storms, when I go through stuff, I often revert and go the other way. I knew, I knew today I needed to have this conversation. I don't know if it's worth a lick of anything right now outside of a discount code. I don't know if it's what it's worth, but I knew I needed to have this conversation. I need to say these words. There's nobody in my house. It's just me talking to this microphone, hoping that someday someone listens to it. Uh, but I'm telling you, brother, like I'm living a storm right now. So I don't sit on some high perch and, and kind of preach at you or talk to you about, um, you know, this is what you need to do. And, you know, like I got this thing figured out. I'm telling you right now, it's hard and it's heavy and it's overwhelming. But I got to believe God is at work because if I just go by what I see, if I just go by human reasoning, and I've tried that, if I just go by human reasoning, it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. But here's the thing I need to consider as well. Why did the disciples not recognize Jesus when he was walking towards them? I mean, they're with him all the time. I say that because I don't want to be a person that doesn't recognize Jesus. What do you mean, Jared? What I mean is maybe he is working in some ways that I'm not aware of. Maybe he is working in the midst of that storm. Maybe he is working far ahead of me. Again, a God who declares the end from the beginning. They weren't looking for him. They weren't waiting by faith. Instead, they they just jumped to the conclusion, this guy's a ghost. What we see from this text is fear and faith. They can't be in the same boat together. It's not going to work. You're not going to go anywhere. You'll sink yourself. I want to have more faith than I have fear. I want to have a better focus on Christ than a concern for the what now. And it, if, if I'm not careful, fear and worry and concern and, and, even, and even grief and heartache and all that stuff, it really can blind us from the presence of the Lord. And so Jesus comes and says, stop, that's enough. Calm the wind, calm the wave. And they began to worship him. Now, not in, not in Mark, they don't worship him, but uh, they had a long way to go in this, right? But this is the first time in, in Matthew it says that they began uh, to worship him and, and have uh, a, a, a reality that you are the Son of God. Now, Matthew chapter 2, the Magi from the east, they come and worship Jesus. Matthew 8, there's a leper that is said to have come to, or come to have worshipped Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, there's a, a synagogue ruler and bows down before him and whose daughter had died and begins to worship Jesus. But this is the first time the disciples begin to worship Jesus. And, and this is what worship is, acknowledging God, praising Him for who He is, for doing what He said He will do. This was their first step to eliminating fear was worship. I said to you today, uh, when we got the news, we were driving, we switched, kind of said, all right, we're going somewhere different now and uh, put on some worship music and er every song I know spoke to us. Not a, not a one, not one word was said, I don't think, from where we were at to where we arrived to 
but there were four individuals in a car, all different ages, all different walks of life, all have surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ. But considering those worship songs, the words that were spoken in there, and again, I tried to have a, a poignant moment of it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Um, I didn't do it very well. And even later on, kind of talking about how this earthly tent is destroyed and we have something that is imperishable. You, every person has to weather that storm, right? Even though we would be theoretically in the same boat, each person has to look for Jesus. I do think it is up to the more experienced the senior group to help the younger ones look for Jesus. When someone who is a spiritual giant in the faith, when someone who has modeled the way to love Jesus, to love the church, to love your wife and kids and grandkids well, when they pass on, they are handing off a baton of faith that we need to run with. I don't want to be guilty of dropping that baton of faith. What I do want to do is help as many people get to Jesus and ultimately to heaven as possible. So, man, thanks for listening. Let's keep pursuing biblical manliness.